This episode of the Ortho Bullets podcast will go over the topic of tarsal coalition from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Tarsal coalition is a common congenital condition caused by failure of embryonic segmentation leading to abnormal coalition of two or more of the tarsal bones. The condition is usually asymptomatic but may present with a flat foot deformity or recurrent ankle sprains. Diagnosis is made with plain radiographs of the foot and ankle showing a coalition, most commonly a calcaneonavicular or talocalcaneus coalition. Treatment is usually a course of casting and NSAIDs for symptomatic patients. Surgical coalition resection or joint arthrodesis is indicated for patients with persistent symptoms who fail conservative management. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the prevalence of tarsal coalition varies from 1% to 2%. In terms of demographics, as far as age of onset, know that calcaneonavicular coalitions usually present at 8 to 12 years old, while talocalcaneal coalitions usually present at 12 to 15 years old. As far as anatomic locations of tarsal coalitions, calcaneonavicular is the most common, then talocalcaneus. Moving on to etiology, there are two types of tarsal coalition. Congenital is the most common, and acquired is less common, but can be caused by trauma, degenerative reasons, and infections. As far as the pathophysiology, the embryology involves failure of mesenchymal segmentation leading to coalition between two or three tarsal bones. This develops into a fibrous coalition or undergoes metaplasia to cartilage plus or minus bone. Moving on to pathoanatomy, with respect to gait mechanics, the subtalar joint will normally rotate 10 degrees internally during stance phase. In the presence of coalition, internal rotation does not occur. The deformity that presents in the setting of tarsal coalition involves flattening of the longitudinal arch, abduction of the forefoot, valgus hindfoot, and perineal spasticity, also known as perineal spastic flatfoot. Pain generator theories include ossification of previously fibrous or cartilaginous coalitions, microfracture at the coalition bone interface, secondary chondral damage or degenerative changes, and increased stress on other hindfoot joints. As far as associated conditions, tarsal coalitions can be non-syndromic or syndromic. Non-syndromic tarsal coalitions has an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern. Syndromic tarsal coalitions can be seen in the setting of fibular hemimalia, carpal coalition, FGFR-associated craniosynostosis, which can be associated with FGFR1, FGFR2, and FGFR3, and other syndromic conditions associated with tarsal coalition include Apert syndrome, Pfeiffer, Cruzon, Jackson-Weiss, and Moenke syndrome. Moving on to the classification of tarsal coalitions, the anatomic classification includes calcaneonavicular and talocalcaneal. Calcaneonavicular is a coalition between the calcaneus and navicular bones, which again is the most common. Talocalcaneal coalitions involve the middle facet of the talocalcaneal joint. The pathoanatomic classification has three types, a fibrous coalition, cartilaginous coalition, and osseous coalition. A fibrous coalition corresponds to a syndesmosis, cartilaginous coalition corresponds to a synchondrosis, and an osseous coalition corresponds to a synostosis. A fibrous coalition is known as a syndesmosis, a cartilaginous coalition is known as a synchondrosis, and an osseous coalition, which is known as a synostosis. Moving on to the presentation of tarsal coalition, patients will typically have a history of prior recurrent ankle sprains. As far as symptoms, most patients are asymptomatic. Know that most coalitions are found incidentally, and 75% of people are asymptomatic. As far as pain, however, in terms of location of pain, the sinus tarsi and inferior fibula suggest a calcaneonavicular tarsal coalition. Distal to the medial malleolus or medial foot suggests a talocalcaneal coalition. As far as pain worsened by activity, 
the onset of symptoms correlates with age of ossification of coalition. Calf pain is secondary to perineal spasticity. Physical exams should include inspection that may reveal hindfoot valgus, forefoot abduction, and pes planus. Range of motion evaluation may reveal limited subtalar motion, heel cord contractures, and know that the arch of the foot does not reconstitute upon toe standing. The hind foot remains in valgus and does not swing into varus upon toe standing. Special tests include a reverse Coleman block test to evaluate for subtalar rigidity. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs that are required include an AP view, a standing lateral foot view, and a 45-degree internal oblique view, which is the most useful for calcaneonavicular coalition. Another required view is the Harris view of the heel. Findings may include a calcaneonavicular coalition, which will manifest as a quote-unquote anteater sign, which is an elongated anterior process of the calcaneus. A talocalcaneal coalition may manifest with talar beaking on lateral radiograph, a C sign, and or a dysmorphic sustentaculum. So in terms of talar beaking on the lateral radiograph, this occurs as a result of limited motion of the subtalar joint, and you may find an irregular middle facet joint on the Harris axial view. A C sign is a C-shaped arc formed by the medial outline of the talar dome and posterior inferior aspect of the sustentaculum tali. Finally, a dysmorphic sustentaculum appears enlarged and rounded. A CT scan has been suggested as part of the preoperative workup to rule out additional coalitions, which has an incidence of approximately 5%, also to determine the size, location, and extent of coalition. Know that the size of talocalcaneal coalition is based on size of the posterior facet using coronal slices. Finally, an MRI may be helpful to visualize a fibrous or cartilaginous coalition. Stir sequences help to differentiate inflammatory changes, for example tendonitis, in local structures. Moving on to treatment of tarsal coalition, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation and shoe inserts, as well as immobilization with casting and analgesics. As far as observation and shoe inserts, this has unclear indications. The technique will include a medial arch support and preserved hind foot alignment. As far as outcomes, know that in rigid flat feet, shoe inserts may be the cause of discomfort. As far as immobilization with casting and analgesics, this is indicated as the initial treatment for symptomatic cases of tarsal coalition. The technique involves a below-knee walking cast for six weeks. As far as outcomes, up to 30% of symptomatic patients will become pain-free with a short period of immobilization. Operative options for tarsal coalition include coalition resection with interposition graft, plus or minus correction of the associated foot deformity, subtalar arthrodesis, and a triple arthrodesis. So as far as coalition resection with interposition graft, plus or minus correction of the associated foot deformity, this is indicated for persistent symptoms despite non-operative management. Coalition involves less than 50% of joint surface area. The technique includes an open versus arthroscopic coalition resection. The interposition material can include the extensor digitorum brevis in a calcaneonavicular coalition, a split flexor halysis longus tendon in a talocalcaneal coalition, interposed fat graft, or bone wax. As far as correction of associated hindfoot, midfoot, or forefoot deformities, a calcaneal osteotomy is used for hindfoot valgus, calcaneal lengthening is used to create the arch after resection, and you can perform a heel cord lengthening if intraoperative ankle dorsiflexion is not past neutral. As far as outcomes, 80 to 85% of patients will experience pain relief. Poor outcomes are associated with coalition resection of greater than 50% the size of the joint surface area, uncorrected hindfoot valgus, and associated degenerative changes. As far as the subtalar arthrodesis, the role of this has not been well established. 
However, you can consider it if the coalition involves greater than 50% of the joint surface of a talocalcaneal coalition. The technique can be open versus arthroscopic, and you can consider an associated calcaneal osteotomy with severe hindfoot malalignment. Finally, a triple arthrodesis, which includes the subtalar, calcaneocuboid, and talonavicular joints. This is indicated for advanced coalitions that fail resection, as well as diffuse associated degenerative changes affecting calcaneocuboid and talonavicular joints. As far as surgical techniques, this can be done open versus arthroscopically. Now, let's go over some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. So starting with calcaneonavicular coalition resection, the approach can be done in a lateral or sloppy lateral position. It can also be done using an anterolateral approach over the coalition. As far as the incision, you will make an oblique incision just distal to the subtalar joint between the extensor tendons and perineal tendons. As far as the technique, you will protect the branches of the superficial perineal and sural nerves. You will then reflect fibrofatty tissues in the sinus tarsi anterior and extensor digitorum brevis distally. You will then identify the coalition between the anterior process of the calcaneus and navicular bones and confirm with fluoroscopy. You will then excise the bar with a saw or osteotomes, which leaves the defect approximately 1 cm in size. You will then interpose fat, bone wax, or a portion of the extensor digitorum brevis muscle into the defect. Postoperatively, these patients will be placed in a short-leg, non-weight-bearing cast for 3-4 to four weeks. Moving on to a talocalcaneal coalition resection, as far as the approach, these patients will be positioned supine, and you will perform a medial approach to the hind foot. As far as the incision, you will make a horizontal or curved incision centered over the sustentaculum tali between the flexor digitorum longus and the neurovascular bundle. As far as the technique, the sustentaculum tali is usually just plantar to the talocalcaneal coalition. You will then identify normal subtalar joint cartilage by dissecting out the anterior and posterior facets. This will help determine location and size of the coalition resection. You will then confirm with two needles immediately anterior and posterior to the coalition clinically and confirm with fluoroscopy. Next, you will resect the coalition with a high-speed burr, rongeurs, and curettes. You will then invert and evert the subtalar joint to demonstrate improvement in subtalar motion. Finally, you will interpose fat, bone wax, or a portion of the flexor hallucis longus tendon into the defect. Postoperatively, these patients will be placed in a short-leg non-weight-bearing cast for three weeks. Finally, let's end this review session talking about some complications of tarsal coalition. These include incomplete resection, recurrence of the coalition, and residual pain or stiffness due to malalignment or associated arthritis, or due to an unrecognized second coalition. This should be identified by a preoperative CT scan. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 15-year-old soccer player presents to your office for a second opinion for chronic ankle sprains for the last five months despite physical therapy and shoe modification. On exam, he is markedly tender about the lateral hind foot but has a negative anterior drawer and symmetric motion in inversion and eversion. At his visit, he brings in a paper copy of his radiograph and reads, quote, evidence of an anteater sign. His previous surgeon recommended a bony resection based on his review of the radiographs. Which of the following is he likely planning to resect? And the choices are 1. Accessory bone behind the talus. 2. Accessory bone adjacent to the navicular deep to the tibialis posterior tendon. 3. Anomaly between the calcaneus and navicular. 4. Anomaly between the calcaneus and talar dome and 5. Anomaly between the calcaneus and Taylor lateral process. The correct answer to this question is 3. Anomaly between the calcaneus and navicular. 
So the so-called anteater sign is classic for a calcaneo-navicular coalition, which is a structural anomaly between the calcaneus and navicular bones. To quickly review, calcaneo-navicular coalitions are the most common of the tarsal coalitions. They represent an aberrant osseous cartilaginous or fibrous union between the calcaneal and navicular bones. While non-operative treatment, like casting, orthoses, and NSAIDs, is indicated as the first line of treatment for all coalitions, surgery, that is resection or fusion, is considered for all patients with recurrent or persistent pain after conservative treatment. Swenson et al. reviewed tarsal coalitions. They reported that patients often present between 8 and 12 years of age with complaints of nonspecific foot pain and often a history of recurrent ankle sprains. They highlighted that plain radiography is the initial step in evaluation and advanced imaging modalities are useful for preoperative planning, identifying fibrous and cartilaginous calcaneo-navicular coalitions, and degenerative changes within the foot. Clamor et al. reviewed coalitions of tarsal bones. They reported that tarsal coalitions are the result of impaired mesenchymal separation of the tarsal bones, with the most common types being calcaneo-navicular or talocalcaneal coalitions. They highlighted that subtalar stiffness results in pathologic kinematics with increased risk of ankle sprains and progressive joint degeneration. They concluded that coalition resection has good results and that tissue interposition may reduce the risk of reossification. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, accessory bone behind the talus is incorrect as this describes an os trigonum. Answer 2, accessory bone adjacent to the navicular deep to the tibialis posterior tendon is incorrect, as this describes an accessory navicular. Answer 4, anomaly between the calcaneus and talar dome is incorrect, as this describes a talocalcaneal coalition, which would be seen on radiographs as a C sign. Finally, answer 5, anomaly between calcaneus and talar lateral process is incorrect, as this kind of coalition has not been described. And moving on to the final question. An 11-year-old boy presents to your clinic on referral from his pediatrician for recurrent right ankle sprains. His mother reports that he has started playing sports in middle school over the past three months with soccer and basketball, but previously he was relatively sedentary. Over the past three months, he has had four ankle sprains that have sidelined him for a period of activity following each sprain. On examination, there is presence of pes planus, a heel and mild valgus, and toe walking that does not correct the valgus. There is tenderness at the sinus tarsi region and evidence of a heel cord contracture. An AP, oblique, and lateral radiograph from the pediatrician's office appear to be normal. Which of the following processes are you most suspicious of and of the options listed, which is the most appropriate next step in management? And the choices are 1. Sievers disease and insertion of a shock-absorbing heel cup into the shoe with concomitant activity modification. 2. Kohler's disease and CT scan evaluation. 3. Isolin's disease and MRI evaluation. 4. Tarsal Coalition and MRI Evaluation and 5. Flexible Pes Planovalgus and Calcaneal Lengthening Osteotomy with Gastrocnemius Recession. The correct answer to this question is 4. Tarsal Coalition and MRI Evaluation. So the patient presents with a relatively short period of recurrent ankle sprains after starting sports. The foot posture shows hind foot valgus that does not correct and heel cord contracture. A working diagnosis of tarsal coalition is arrived upon, and an MRI would be helpful to evaluate for a fibrous or cartilaginous coalition since the radiographs do not show an overt bony coalition. Conservative management has not been attempted as of yet. To quickly review, tarsal coalitions, which are most commonly calcaneo-navicular or talocalcaneal, are a common etiology of symptomatic flat feet in adolescents. These coalitions should initially be managed with non-operative treatments such as activity modification, immobilization, and weight-bearing restrictions. 
If these interventions do not resolve symptoms, then surgical interventions can be offered. Vinson presents a review article of tarsal coalitions and painful flat feet in adolescents. He found calcaneonavicular coalitions to be the most common cause, followed by a middle facet talocalcaneal coalition. He proposes a period of initial immobilization, followed by surgical treatment in recalcitrant cases. Mubarak et al. present a level 4 retrospective study of calcaneonavicular coalitions following resection and fat graft interposition. At 12 months follow-up, 87% of patients had returned to sport, while 5% had reossification that required repeat excision. They prefer using fat graft interposition over other options such as extensor digitorum brevis or EDB interposition. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, Sievers disease is a common cause of heel pain and is thought to be an overuse injury of the calcaneal apophysis. It is commonly managed with activity modification, Achilles stretching, and heel cup orthotics. 2. Kohler's disease is avascular necrosis of the navicular bone and is treated primarily with immobilization with a short leg walking cast. 3. Eisland's disease is a traction apophysitis of the tuberosity of the fifth metatarsal and is typically managed with rest, activity modification, and icing. Finally, answer 5. Flexible pes planovalgus is a physiologic variant consisting of a decrease in the medial longitudinal arch and a valgus hindfoot as well as forefoot abduction with weight bearing. This patient does have valgus hindfoot, but conservative management is first warranted. Additionally, going directly to surgical intervention with a flexible flat foot surgery would miss addressing the actual etiology of the patient's issue with the tarsal coalition. That's all for this review about tarsal coalition. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.